0: There's always something new and exciting happening in Montgomery County, Maryland. Join podcaster and business leader Kelly Leonard and me, Bob Levy, on another episode of
1: Something to Talk About, where we speak with industry leaders making an impact in our county. Si tu día suena algo como
2: Necesitamos el reporte ya mismo.
1: Tú te mereces una modelo. Si no bajas los brazos al escuchar Dos más, dos más. Tú te mereces el sabor refrescante de esta lager dorada. Y si no te rindes al oír, tú te mereces esta cerveza elaborada para aquellos con un espíritu luchador. Modelo, la marca de los luchadores, todo con medida, importado por Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
0: Products and/or services which may be advertised during this program are not necessarily endorsed by the program.
3: Prog Watch, music that tells a story, with your friend and host. Big Tony Rousek, a.k.a. Prague Watch.
0: Welcome back to Prog Watch, my friends. This is Big Tony, your host, and I thank you for coming along for the ride once again. Also, special thanks to all my supporters on Patreon.com, my patrons of the Progressive Arts. If you enjoy the program and it has some value to you, I'd ask you to consider supporting my efforts here at ProgWatch. You can find more at Patreon.com forward slash Anthony Rausick, or by following the Support the Show link at the top of the homepage of ProgWatch.com, and that's P-R-O-G-W-A-T-C-H, all one word, dot com. So I'm very excited to tell you that this week's program is an artist interview and feature show focused on Oliver Wakeman. Oliver is the eldest son of Rick Wakeman and quite a talented keyboard player in his own right. The apple does not fall far from the tree, as they say. He has worked as a solo artist and toured with his own band, has collaborated with Clive Nolan of Arena, Pendragon, and Camera and interestingly, filled his father's role for a time in both Yes and The Straubs. I caught up with Oliver a few weeks back when he was promoting his latest endeavor, a three-CD box set in collaboration with the aforementioned Clive Nolan. The box set, called Tales by Gaslight, includes the two albums Oliver and Clive did together, The Jabberwocky and The Hound of the Baskervilles, both of which I believe have been out of print for some time, and both are here remastered as well as a third disc called Dark Fables, which includes material for a proposed third album which never quite materialized. However, this third disc is not just rough demos and outtakes. Much of the material was re-recorded and completed with the talents of Gordon Giltrap, Paul Manzi, Andy Sears, David Mark Pierce, and Oliver's dear old dad, Rick Wakeman. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself as Oliver will fill us in on the box set later on in the interview. For now, let's get things rolling with some music from Oliver's time with Yes. First up, The Gift of Love from the Yes EP, From a Page, which was released in 2019 along with a double live set, also featuring Oliver, called In the Present, live from Leon. After The Gift of Love, I'll go straight into a live version of the classic and You and I from that live set. Again, that was The Gift of Love from the Yes EP From a Page, followed by a live rendition of And You and I from the double live set In the Present, Live at Leon, both featuring my guest this week and subject of this program, Mr. Oliver Wakeman. Let's do one more before we take a short break and come back with more music and some of my interview with Oliver. This next one is a track Oliver did in collaboration with his father's frequent bandmate and Oliver's future bandmate, Steve Howe. Stephen Oliver collaborated on an album called The Three Ages of Magic, and that's magic with a K at the end. From that album, this is Ages of Magic. Again, that was Ages of Magic from the album The Three Ages of Magic, released in 2001 and credited to Oliver Wakeman with Steve Howe. After this short break, we'll get into some of my interview with Oliver and hear more great music, including some from the new Tales by Gaslight box set. Stay tuned.
3: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Steve Harrow and y'all listening to Club Watch.
0: Before we listen to the first part of my interview with Oliver Wakeman, let's check out a new track from that Nolan and Wakeman box set called Tales by Gaslight. From the third disc of previously unreleased material, this is Why Do You Hate Me? Once again, that was Why Do You Hate Me from the new Nolan and Wakeman box set called Tales by Gaslight. Now here's some of my chat with Oliver Wakeman. So first, uh, let me say it's a pleasure and an honor to be speaking with you.
5: Oh, well, that's lovely. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure and my listener's pleasure also, I'm sure. Um, So uh, before we talk about what you're currently up to, can we talk a little about your early life?
5: We can. I mean, it depends on how far back you want to go. Uh, <laughs> where, where do you want me to start? I can go right back to the beginning, or I can go back from when we started working on the box. Where, where would you like me to, to stick a pin?
0: Well, I was thinking, you know, we'll get a little background first, and I'll play some older stuff, and then we'll get up to where we are today, you know, with the new project, and definitely uh, make sure to promote that as much as possible. So, okay. uh, you know, I mean, I'm always interested in, kind of the family dynamic of uh you know being a phenomenal a phenomenally talented son of a phenomenally talented father um has to create a certain kind of dynamic um can you tell us a little about your early years and how you started playing keyboards was were they just there and you just started or were you encouraged or
5: uh well if i go right back to when i was was about four the first time i remember interacting with a keyboard was when i was yeah about 4 and we walked i walked into the lounge and we had a a grand piano in the lounge and i remember walking up to it and putting my fingers on some of the keys and somehow i managed to hit a perfect chord and it sounded terrific and i thought hey i like this this is this is great and so i tried again and of course i couldn't hit a perfect chord again because i was just guessing mm-hmm. and um sort of realized that actually I quite like the sound it made. And so I'd like to learn how to do it. So from about the age of five, I started going into into piano lessons. And and I can distinctly remember this because it was during my play times at schools. So all my friends were out playing in the field and I'd have to go and do a piano lesson. And I can remember them sticking the stars on my fingers and the stars on the keys to tell me, you know, to make the fingers correspond. Uh, and that's my earliest memory of getting into the idea of doing music. Um, and I continued lessons for a, for a fair old while until I got to that sort of teenage years where most teenagers decide that they like football and they like going out with girls and all that sort of stuff. And so yeah, I, I sort of kept doing it, but it, it wasn't the the thing that drove me. And then I sort of decided that actually I quite like the guitar, so I started to learn guitar as well. And, I, and slowly it sort of became the biggest part of my life. Um, you know, I, I sort of did my music. Lessons, and I was at new music at school, and listening to lots of music and discovering stuff, and suddenly realizing that actually this was sort of becoming the thing that that I I I was spending most of my spare time enjoying or doing. And so I then I got into my sort of teenage years and started at you know I went went to a new school and I'm I sort of joined a few bands at sixteen and then I ended up joining a band where everybody was much older than me. So I'd finish my school lessons for the day. They'd pull up outside the school. I'd jump in the back of the van, go off and play in pubs until late, come home, have a few hours kip, and then get back up and go to school again. You know, So mm-hmm. that was really my, my formative years, which sort of started defining what I wanted to do. And then I just ended up doing it more and more and more and working through the pubs and the clubs. And yeah, you know, to, to go to the bit about the influence my dad had i mean he obviously influenced me in the way that he had had a a, a very you know he still has a very successful career but he he left home by the time i was five and i didn't see him again until i was 12 and it was only at at the age of 12 or 13 that i i heard some of the music that he'd done um so prior to that it was literally just me wanting to play and I'd sort of started to develop how I felt my playing should be at quite a young age. And so listening to his music at a later, later stage in life suddenly made me go, Oh, actually we sort of, sort of seen, I seem naturally to, to sort of play a similar sort of way. Um, and then that was it really. I, I suddenly got into music in a, in a big, big way, suddenly discovered lots of bands from the sixties and the seventies and, felt that I really enjoyed listening to musicians who were technical enough but were writing music that they wanted to write they weren't writing based on a record company telling them what to do and that's that's sort of what I really enjoyed listening to and so I sort of thought I wanted to start writing what I wanted to write uh, and I, I have great memories of walking into record shops with my friends in my early teenage years with them picking up the latest you know top 10 record and I was picking up rush 2112 and they were <laughs> looking at me with this sort of weird look on my face and and i started to push that further and further and I, I distinctly remember the last time they asked to go to a record shop with me was when they picked up the latest duran duran record and i picked up the flying teapot by gong and i think <laughs> at that point they realized that we were just on completely different musical paths and um yeah so it, it, i mean that's a very potted history of, of how i sort of developed into music but it was It was just a natural, you know, you sort of, everybody sort of works out what they, what they sort of really enjoy doing. And I just really enjoyed doing music. I I felt I had the focus for doing it. And I enjoyed the creativity of it. And that really just defined, defined my sort of path in life.
0: All right. um, So you say you more or less just sort of developed a very similar style to your father by accident, really?
5: (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest with you, the only time i would ever, sat down and learned one of his really sat down and worked out one of his parts or pieces was when I joined yes back in 2008 that was okay. the first time I'd actually really sat down and tried to work out what you're doing everything else just was sort of what what came naturally under my fingers I mean you listen to things and you hear the way someone phrases something and it just felt natural but I listened to you know I listened to loads of keyboard players growing up as well who um I enjoyed their work just as much as I was, I was I'm a huge fan of sticks love the band sticks and Dennis DeYoung could yes. play a wonderful keyboard solo as well as obviously writing terrific songs and being a a great songwriter. And I was also a huge fan of John Lord. I mean, discovering deep purple oh, yeah. in my early teens was, it just blew me away. I just remember listening to the way that he could kick, kick this organ into life and just make it just sound so aggressive. And he played it so brilliantly and so John Lord was a, was a huge influence as well. And, and all these different players, I just got excited by what they were making these instruments do. And I, you know, and I sort of feel why well, maybe, maybe there's a her, a hereditary thing, you know, something in the yeah. genes that makes my brain work in a certain way with music. Probably. Makes, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not, it certainly isn't deliberate. And I certainly didn't sit down from the age of eight and start playing roundabout. and, You know, most people seem to think I did. And when I joined just everyone went, well, it must be really easy. Dad showed you all the parts, or you've been playing it for years. And I suddenly went, well, two things. A, Dad never showed me a note. And B, I'd listened to the songs, but I'd never sat down and analyzed them. I'd just been a fan and enjoyed the music. And when you actually suddenly sit down and have to analyze and pull a piece of music apart, that's a a completely different thing. So, yeah, and maybe that hereditary thing helped me when it came to learning the parts for Yes, because they fell under the fingers quite comfortably. It didn't. You know, didn't um, I? Didn't sit there going, "Oh my goodness, what's going on here?" I could sort of work it out.
0: Never had to ask about a bizarre minor diminished seventh chord or anything. <laughs> no, some, no, somehow
5: I always managed to find it by you know. I mean, and what, you know, this was like 12, 13 years ago. I, I joined yes, and so you know, there was a lot of slowing the music down a little bit and trying to work out exactly what was going on. I, mm-hmm. I distinctly remember years ago doing that with with Chris Squire when we were working out astral traveler and you know trying to work out what bits were going on even he was doing it he was going what was what was i playing there you know <laughs> we had a great fun trying to sort that out
0: yeah i've uh, encountered that i'm a musician it's even uh, you know found old demos and i, oh, I want to do a new ver-, and it's like well, what was i doing there it's weird <laughs> sometimes you have to try to figure out what you were doing on your own stuff
5: that's it is yeah, yeah. when you when you suss it it falls under the fingers perfectly but it takes you a bit of time to suddenly go mm-hmm. what was i doing uh, yeah it's a it's a strange thing.
0: Let's check out some more music now from his solo debut album Heaven's Isle. I'm spinning the title track. After that, I'll go straight into a live track called I Don't Believe in Angels from the album Coming to Town, live in Katowice, credited to the Oliver Wakeman band. What we just heard was I Don't Believe in Angels, a live version of a tune from Oliver's 2005 album called Mother's Ruin. This live version comes from the 2008 live album Coming to Town, live in Katowice. Prior to that, it was the title track of Oliver's first solo outing, Heaven's Isle, released in 1997. Stay with me through this short break to hear more great music and a bit more of my chat with Oliver Wakeman. The vinyl may be gone. The album art may
3: be
4: a JPEG. Baby, baby. Radio lives on forever.
2: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com.
3: Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: So I fried up his liver and had it with a nice Chianti and some fava beans, while I listened to the latest Prague Watch. <laughs> So, before we get back to some interview, let's listen to another track from the new Nolan and Wakeman box set called Tales by Gaslight. Once again, from the third disc called Dark Fables, this is The Man Called Sherlock.
3: Across the moor to bring justice to his maiden hall. Sir Hugo raced ahead. His aim to see the maiden dead. His friends followed it all and could not believe the sight they saw to. To warn them of the curse And if you feel this isn't true This article should convince you The latest in this hapless line Was found dead in his grounds And near to where Sir Charles was found A footprint of a giant hand
0: Again, that was the man called Sherlock from the new Nolan and Wakeman box set, Tales by Gaslight, which includes that third disc of previously unreleased material, plus the complete Jabberwocky and Hound of the Baskervilles albums, both remastered. Now let's hear a little more of my chat with Oliver Wakeman. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned you know that you took your father's position in Yes, but that wasn't the only band you actually... Uh, took up his mantle or his cape or <laughs> as the case may yeah. be. I ne- but,
5: I, yeah, I never did the cape. Yeah, yeah I, I know. <laughs> but, I, 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 did, I did get asked to join the Straubs. At, the at Straubs, the same, exactly, same, yes. Same time as yes, actually. That was, that was a very weird thing. Um, I, You know, I will make say this, is that I, I, I never actively went out of my way to court the bands that Dad played in. I've never sort of, you know, I'd always decided that I wanted to do things my way and on my terms and stuff. And so I, I sort of very, I didn't really push the the dad thing at all when I was when I first started because I thought, well, I want to do this and I want to write what I want to write and I want to make sure that I can write music and get to an ability that that does the Wakeman name proud. It, it, to me, it's it, it's an important important surname in the history of music and i didn't want to to tarnish it so Absolutely. I worked really hard to make sure i could play to a standard and write songs that i was happy with and that people seemed to like and um and throughout my my career of, of writing records I, I did start working with steve howe back in oh goodness me what year was it 2001 i think it was yeah. We became very good friends on the ABWH tour when I went off round the round America with with ABWH. Just as a you know, so me and my brother went along just to watch the shows. Uh, and it was when um Tony Levin got very ill and they cancelled a load of shows. And I spent an awful lot of time hanging out with Steve Howe. I mean, you know, I was only a sixteen year old lad, and we spent a lot of time talking. and He was talking to me about music and listening to things that I I was talking about. Uh, and then we met up again many years later and he asked me what I was doing, and I just happened to be stood in front of a record shop that had a poster of a, a, a record I'd just done in the window, and I said, oh, well, I've just done this record here, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, I'd love to hear it, so I sent him a copy, and then he phoned me up and invited me over, and we started meeting up quite regularly, you know, like a cup of, cup of coffee and talk about music and And then he said, so, you know, do you want to play me some stuff that you're writing? And so I started playing him stuff I was writing, and he liked it, and then he suggested that we worked on something together. And that's what became the Three Ages of Magic project. Yes. Uh, And then, obviously from that, we spent a lot of time together. And then I think when Dad decided he didn't want to do the, the yes, uh, what was it, 40th anniversary tour, you know, they said, well, who else could do it? And he said, well, you know, Oliver could do it, and Steve, Turned around and said, I've worked with Oliver and he could do it. And so I got a phone call and they said, Would you do it? And you know, so obviously I, I sat and thought about it for about seven seconds and said, <laughs> Yeah, of course I <also> will. <laughs> um, and that was great. And so I joined and then um, had lots of email conversations with John Anderson about what was going to go into the set and some recording work that he wanted to do prior, prior to the tour. Uh, and then he got ill. And mm-hmm. then it all got restarted up again with, with Benoit David. And so that, that was all great. And I was starting to rehearse and then the straws phoned me up and said, look, um, would you come and join us as well?
0: Now, did um, you know Dave cousins at all previously? Had you met him through your father? or I, anything?
5: I had met him. Chaz Kronk, the bass player was actually my godfather. From okay. When I was, a, when I was a kid and Dave cousins, when i was in my early 20s i went through a period of hitchhiking around britain watching bands and going and seeing musicians play cool. and one <laughs> of the bands I, one of the bands i hitchhiked to go and watch was the straws and and i they played a at a, a theater close by to me and i went along and introduced myself and they obviously all remembered me from when i was about three or whatever age i was um and uh, and then I just sort of hitchhiked down to see them one day, and I sort of turned up at the door, and not to know that I went, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, I just thought I'd come along and watch the show." And I started to do it quite regularly, and sort of trot around the place, watch a few straw shows and different bands, and and they obviously had my number. And at some point, they just, you know, this is maybe ten, ten, fifteen years later, they just phoned me up and said, "Look, we need a keyboard player," and. We'll, We've had John Hawking in the band for a long time, who was a, who was a you know, who was a, who was a terrific fit for the band in the style that we were doing. But we really want to try and do some of the music that we did back when your dad was in the band. We want to do some of the stuff like Sheep and Where Is This Dream of Your Youth mm. and Hangman and the Papist and all this yeah. stuff that really requires a, a particular type of player. And, um, you know we know you're doing yes but would you if we made the tour work around it would you would you do our our tours as well and i said yeah great you know the idea of playing those tracks was brilliant so we sort of managed to make it work for about a year and a half i think and i toured around oh where did i go with them so i did some stuff in europe i went around all around uk and all around um only canada did quite a big tour of canada with them which was i still have terrifically fond memories of of those of those tours and and it was really good fun and we did some recording and then we did their 40th anniversary or 50th and 40th and i can't remember which anniversary it was now
0: um probably 40 yeah
5: probably 40 yeah and we did and i did that that big show with them and and that was that was terrific and i really enjoyed it and um Yeah. So uh, the thing I think I was most pleased about was the fact that they sort of came and asked me and it wasn't the fact that I went out and said, Hey, I can play it. I could do that. You know, I didn't have to pitch myself for it, uh, which was, you know, which was nice. And I, you know, I really enjoyed playing with, with both bands and, you know, I, I had a fair amount of time with both. So I obviously was doing something, something okay. So it was a, you know, it was a lovely, a lovely period of my life. I must be honest.
0: Very cool. Um, if you don't want to talk about it, I understand, and I'll cut all traces of this from the interview when I do my thing. But
5: uh, uh no, fine, I don't mind talking about it.
0: I've, 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 well, I haven't asked the next question yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a preface to the next question. So, yeah, I've always wondered uh, what what led to your departure from Yes. Uh,
5: that really was a, um, I think it really was a Trevor Horn thing. Uh, we were, we were working. I mean, the band was what can i say the band was was playing very well in that 2008 we started playing together 2009 was was very good and in 2009 we really gelled as as a band and and chris was pushing for us to go into a studio and start writing together and i was really into that i thought that'd be a terrific idea you know really give us a chance to establish this lineup and so Chris and I started talking a lot about doing recording and where we could do it and who we could do it. And I suggested, I said, you yeah, know, why don't you ask Trevor Horn? It'd be brilliant if he would produce the record. Uh, and then we, we got together and did some writing sessions and, and put some music, uh, um, you know, some demos down. And then we a, a, went we to a house in um, Phoenix to do a big writing session where we were there for about two weeks just writing and, and contributing to each other's songs and we had, we had the basis of a of a pretty good album um but, uh, and but in the meantime they had made contact with Trevor Horn and they had said you know Trevor had come back and said well I'll, I'll do it but I want one of the tracks to be the track that I did or that he did with the band back in 1980 when they did the drama tour which was we can fly fly yeah and um so I did all the keyboard parts for that and Recorded it all and sat in on the listening sessions to the to the mixes of it, and it was you know sounded it sounded great. But I was always slightly confused as to why you know if we were trying to establish ourselves as a as a new lineup of Yes, with you know Benoit and myself coming in as sort of younger uh, members of the band, why we were focusing our energies on on a piece of music that was um, at the time 30 years old and had only ever been played live by yes once at a a show on the 1980s tour Uh, and so i was never quite comfortable and i I sort of said you know on a few occasions well maybe you know we should be really focusing on the on the stuff that we're doing together maybe you know that's where we should be putting our energies um and in the meantime trevor was um you know he was enjoying doing what he was doing with the band and then you know, he decided that he wanted to, to do a bit more writing and, and slowly it evolved from the band writing most of the album and just doing one piece that Trevor wanted to do to this sort of suite of songs that Trevor wanted to do. And and the songs that the band had done sort of being put on the, on the second side. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as that happened, you know, Trevor felt more comfortable working back with Jeff Downs, who he wrote a lot with. And Jeff was in the band at the time when he was in the band and, I think he felt that it was a natural way for the band to go, which was for him and Jeff to be back involved and make it more like the drama um, lineup of the band. Uh, And and so that's really what happened. And and they sort of had to make a decision as to which way they wanted to go, whether they wanted to go down the, you know, working it the way that, that Trevor wanted to work the record or... Doing what they felt they wanted to do with Benoit and myself, and you know they chose the route that they wanted to do with with Trevor, and you know that's it was their band, it's their call, uh, and that's the decision that they made. And you know all you can do as a person is say thank you very much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it, and you know let's keep in touch. That's <laughs> so that's really that's really what happened, and and in a in an in an in an odd sort of way. It was really nice to put the box set out a couple of years ago. That
0: from that, a page,
5: yeah, from a yeah. page where we—I mm-hmm. had all the songs that I'd worked on with the band. I mean, I had done some writing on on "We Can Fly," the "Into the Storm" song. You know, a lot of that was my my work, um, and you know, there was a few bits of keyboards of mine. I did the keyboard solo on "Hour of Need," so so I did appear on on the record, but it, it was sort of bits that they'd sort of kept because. They'd, what we'd worked on, and they felt comfortable with those parts. But from a page, really, was um, a good example of what we were doing as a band and the direction that we were going to go. And it's a it's a different record to Fly From Here. Yes, uh, yeah, it,
0: absolutely.
5: It, it has a different feel, and you know, as as with all people in life and all all fans, some people love Fly From Here, some people love From a Page, some people love both, and that's that's just how it is you know it's it's the way life goes sometimes you you win some you lose some and um but i was i was pleased that from a page came out the way it came out because i think it sort of it it made people realize um just just how creative that lineup of the band was or could have been you know it was it mm-hmm. was a nice it was it was nice that people didn't think of it as just a touring band people realized that you know these were people that didn't just turn up at a show play together and then disappear. We, you know, we spent a lot of time together interacting musically. Uh, And I think that's one of the things that people always liked about. Yes. Was the idea of the band really sitting down and intricately, you know, arranging something and, and from a page does have that in, 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 you know, quite a lot of that going on, which is, which, which is why I think a lot of people sort of reacted positively to it.
0: I'll definitely uh, be hitting on that whenever I put the program together and uh, very, very well put and very graceful and i guess it all sort of makes sense you know uh, how everything panned out how you just explained it um
5: i don't sound like i'm being bitter <laughs> no
0: not at all not at all uh it didn't get any hint of bitterness it's just uh yeah, yeah these things happen with bands you know
4: yeah, yeah
0: so i hope you enjoyed listening in on some of my chat with oliver wakeman as you could probably tell by the title of this episode there will be a part two with more chat and more great music But don't you go anywhere just yet, because I have a great closing track from Oliver's time with the Straubs. Before I get into that, I'll ask you to please remember to check out ProgWatch.com, where you can find all sorts of cool stuff, like links to featured artists' webpages, links to Rob Fisher's reviews on Progressive Discoveries Weeks, as well as all my social media links, my email, and ways to subscribe to the show. You can also listen to any episode I've ever done right there, Search for any artist I've ever featured, and find a link to my Patreon page if you would like to support the show. So until next time, be well, support the artists, and prog on, my friends. So here's our final track for this week. From the Straub's 2009 album, Dancing to the Devil's Beat, great album, atrocious cover. This is Pro Patria Suite. For those interested, Pro Patria is a Latin phrase meaning, for one's country.
2: Thank yeah. To go, Don't
1: Es el mejor momento para preparar tu hogar para las fiestas y recibir a los invitados. Porque en The Home Depot encuentras ahorros de hasta 40% en baños seleccionados por internet. Además de entrega gratis en todos los tocadores y grifos por internet. Deja tu casa lista para esas visitas esperadas. Familia, amigos, vecinos y las inesperadas. Deja tu baño listo para las fiestas con ahorros de hasta 40% en tocadores y grifos en The Home Depot. Haces más, logras más. Estás atrapado en el tráfico, pero luego hay una recompensa para ti. Una modelo, la marca de los luchadores. Mantienes la calma a pesar de las bocinas, las largas filas y los gritos. ¡Muévete! Así que al llegar a casa, sírvete esta dorada y refrescante lager. Porque tú sabes que tu paciencia vale oro. Tú eres un luchador y esta es tu recompensa. Modelo, la marca de los luchadores. Todo con medida importada por Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.